Hi, everybody. Cheryl Ackeson here. Welcome to another edition of the Cheryl Ackeson Podcast. Today, I have an interview with a man who says he is a Frankenstein who helped create the woke corporate monster and wants to say, I'm sorry. He's Gregory Angelo, president of the New Tolerance Campaign. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. In this age of a highly controlled media landscape, it's never been more important to fight the heavy hand of censorship and support truly independent journalism. Go to CherylAxon.com and click on the store tab for a great way to do that. There are all kinds of fun and functional products designed specifically for independent and free thinkers like you, featuring slogans like, I tested positive for critical thinking, and... I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. Proceeds support independent journalism causes like the Ion Awards for off-narrative, accurate reporting. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the store tab today. Can you give me a paragraph as to what the New Tolerance Campaign is before we begin? Sure. The New Tolerance Campaign is a grassroots advocacy organization that mobilizes everyday Americans to push back against institutions when they betray their stated values. And when I say institutions, I'm talking about woke corporations. I'm talking about activist nonprofits that have completely lost their way, like the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center. And of course, I'm talking about colleges and universities that can continue an ever leftward drift, silencing conservative speech on campus and shutting down open debate. This is a big turnabout for you. In 2013, you were president of the Log Cabin Republicans. What is that? Log Cabin Republicans is the country's organization representing LGBT conservatives and straight allies. We are, uh, Log Cabin Republicans is the voice of gay Americans in the GOP and has been since 1977. And at the time, you were getting corporate support for something called the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. Take me back to that time and explain what you were doing. Sure. Uh, the first year that I came on board as the national president of Log Cabin Republicans, one of the legislative priorities that the LGBT community had was something called the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, ENDA. This is federal legislation that would have made it illegal to fire someone because of their sexual orientation. And at the time, one of the lobbying strategies that we had was to lean on corporate America, the thinking being that if corporations announced their support for this legislation, weighed in on it, that Republicans that might have been waffling on this issue but have received corporate support from these major corporations who would be coming out in support of this legislation, that would be the thumb on the scale that would get them to yes. And I will say that that strategy was successful. We ended up getting 10 Republicans voting for the Employment Non-Discrimination Act in the United States Senate when it finally came up for a vote in the fall of, of 2013. However, looking back... Before we get to oh, looking back, sure. if you don't mind, yeah. take me inside a room that you were in in one of these meetings. What kind of corporations were there? What were they saying to you and what were you saying to them? Yeah. You know, I'll never forget a meeting that I had with the Director of Government Affairs for one of the country's largest airlines and the chief lobbyist for one of the country's largest hotel chains. 
And the purpose of that meeting was to get the hotel chain to weigh in on the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. And ultimately, we were successful in doing that. The strategy, of course, was pressuring companies, uh, the whole right side of history argument, saying that if you don't come out and support this legislation, it will be a PR nightmare for you. People will notice if you have all these other corporations that are supporting this legislation, but you are not, people are going to start asking questions. And if you truly support the LGBT community, you need to come out in support of this legislation. Was it controversial at the time? Were they saying to you, oh my gosh, like, maybe we'd like to, but we're going to get hit either way? What were they saying? You want to know one of the most interesting things about, about this whole experience is that the chief lobbyist for the one of the largest hotel the chief lobbyist for one of the largest hotel chains in the United States had said that they were actually happy to do business in states that did not have protections for the LGBT community because they had those already as a matter of their own corporate policy in other words they felt that it gave that, that it gave them an advantage in hiring because LGBT individuals that would otherwise not apply to a job because of fear of being fired because of their sexual orientation would apply for a job at this LGBT accepting corporation. Um, so it's interesting to note that by supporting federal non-discrimination protections, this was actually something that was against the better business plan for this corporation. Um, and I think right there in a nutshell, you have everything that is wrong with woke corporate America. They're weighing in on contentious cultural issues that have nothing to do with their bottom line, things that could ultimately turn off a large number of their consumers, but also it's things that could have a detrimental impact on their actual bottom line. But in order to appease the woke mob, these corporations feel that they need to weigh in on contentious legislation and cultural issues. So back then, maybe it was to appease the woke mob. Now it seems to me when you're watching TV commercials or when companies are telling you all of the social things that they do, they're really aggressive at wanting to put this out. It seems to be a strategy now. Has it changed where they're all on board with these social ideas now? You're talking specifically about LGBT stuff or just like the, the whole social, The whole social landscape. Of, of, yeah. You expect now a company to tell you how they feel. And by the way, isn't it typically a left-leaning position? You don't hear companies getting out too much and touting what is considered maybe a right-leaning position. Yeah, if, if ever. I mean, there, there's most definitely, first of all, by weighing in on LGBT issues 10 years ago, by the way, at a time where the winds of popular support were blowing in support of uh, of, of support for the LGBT community. It wasn't exactly a courageous position that corporations were taking. But by weighing in on issues related to the gay community, it set a precedent. And the precedent was that corporations now have a duty to weigh in on contentious cultural issues. And so in the 10 years since I was lobbying on behalf of log cabin Republicans, we have corporations weighing in on everything from the overturning of Roe versus Wade to Black Lives Matter, defund the police, and a, a number of other leftist causes. Uh, I think that ultimately um, uh, what, is a, what happens as a result of that is that it's conservative voices that are silenced in the workplace. It is conservatives that end up getting elbowed out of, um, uh, of discussions and, and political discourse. So when was it that you started to think maybe the activism you had taken part in was not the right thing to do? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you a funny story. 
I started as the president of the New Tolerance Campaign, working to rally grassroots action, pushing back against woke corporations. And I went out for coffee with a colleague of mine uh, to share news of this new position that I was embarking on and told him that one of the things we're doing at New Tolerance Campaign is fighting back against woke corporations. And he says, cool. But didn't you kind of start all of that? <laughs> And I initially I said, well, no, I, it wasn't me. Of course not. There were other people who were far more aggressive in lobbying corporations to weigh in on LGBT issues. And that is most certainly the case. But I realized that I'm not completely innocent. In fact, I was an insider when it came to leaning on corporations to weigh in on contentious cultural issues and in some ways started this fire that we are presently starting to put out. And I figured that the best way to do this work that I'm doing right now at the New Tolerance Campaign was to lean into that, was to come clean and share my story as an insider who helped to create Woke Inc. Uh, I don't think that that story has been told to date. We have a lot of people complaining about woke corporations. We certainly have a lot of punditry, a lot of op-ed writing, but there's no one that has actually come forward and said, I was in the room, I helped start all of this, and I have that knowledge that got us into it, I can help get us out of it. You describe what you're doing now as penance, <laughs> paying penance. I think that's the, uh, that's the Catholic upbringing in me uh, that, that uh, compelled me to use that choice of words. But after concluding that I had a responsibility in creating Woke Inc., and understanding now that this is something that has become a major negative cultural force in the United States, uh, it, it informed the work that I'm doing right now at the New Tolerance Campaign. I think that uh, in order to make amends for the time that I was working uh, unintentionally to create this current woke landscape, I think telling my story as an insider and also rallying everyday Americans behind the New Tolerance Campaign to push back against these corporations is something that can turn the tide. Are you meeting with corporations now, much as you did a decade ago, trying to get them to reverse course? What is the strategy today? At the core of the New Tolerance Campaign is a strategy to push back. We take the call your senator, email your congressman model, and we turn the turrets onto the institutions. We allow everyday Americans to send messages directly to the CEO of American Express when they institute hiring and promotion policies that are directly connected to race. People could send messages directly to the CEO and board of directors of Walmart when they mandate very divisive critical race theory trainings for their employees. Um, so as a result, we're not really getting invited into the room these days, but we are earning a response from these corporations, corporations that once felt that they could weigh in on issues like Black Lives Matter, that could involve themselves with critical race theory uh, and not face any consequence in the public square are suddenly now facing not only questions from the media as a result of the campaigns that we're doing, but they're hearing directly from their own consumers. I think frequently, if you get to the level of a CEO, it's an old attaboy, girl club. There's a certain type that makes its way all the way to the C-suite. And by the time you get there, you're basically in an ivory tower. Uh, and if you look at the polling, you'll actually see that 63% of CEOs think that it is their duty to weigh in on contentious cultural issues. Contrast that with a recent Wall Street Journal poll that showed 63% of consumers felt CEOs should never weigh in 
on contentious cultural issues. So you really see that there's, there's a difference there between what the CEOs think the public wants, their consumers want, and what the public actually wants to see CEOs and corporations doing. On another related topic, we're doing a story on military recruiting. And certainly a question to ask is, have all the stories about uh, supposed woke things happening in the military perhaps impacted recruiting? Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, much as we say that when people are hired, promoted, it should be because they are the best person for the job or they were the most qualified for the promotion, the focus of the military should be recruiting the best and the brightest to defend our country. It shouldn't be to placate special interest groups or to appeal to extremely narrow segments of the population at, at, when you run the risk of actually turning off a far greater percentage of the population that you should be targeting for recruiting. Um, I think, the, sadly, the infestation of woke is not just limited to college campuses and even corporate America. Right now, we're seeing it infecting the federal government. We're seeing it infecting the military. And this is something, I think, that has a consequence of impacting not only the culture that we have in the military, but our military readiness. How such a small slice of America, or what was a very small slice of America, could take front and center stage in education and media and politics over a pretty short period of time is an interesting question. Have you looked into how that came about? Do you have any thoughts about how all of this is suddenly on, a, on our landscape of information every day? Yeah, it's curious. You know, um, when the Supreme Court made marriage equality the law of the land in all 50 states in 2015, one of the common talking points we saw in the media was, wow, the gay community has come so far so fast. It seemed like all of this just happened over a very short period of time. And it really didn't. I mean, the Stonewall Rebellion was in 1969. So we're talking about more than a half a century of advocacy that it took the gay community from being subject to arrest and termination at work simply for being gay to a point where we can now be married in all 50 states and love who we love. Well, the transgender issue is one that actually has accelerated in a very short period of time. And I don't think that that's, that's an accident. I think it's a combination of LGBT Inc. that fundraised off of employment protections and same-sex marriage for decades needing something else to raise money off of when those two issues were now taken off the table. So they needed to focus on this. And you also have a, a number of um, very well-funded foundations that are prime drivers of funding uh, transgender advocacy, transgender education in schools, transgender lobbying. Um, and people who think that this is a grassroots movement that is giving rise to the transgender culture in the United States, this transgender moment that people say that we're having, um, do not understand that this is more of a top-down dynamic that is at play, where you have really just a handful of organizations and LGBT advocacy organizations that are driving the agenda. But because they have such sway and such money, they're influencing everything from schools to politicians to corporate America. One question I forgot to ask you on the main topic was, I think you said all of this probably going back to gay rights and that the legislation, you've looked back and said that was going to happen anyway. Maybe it wasn't necessary to bring these corporations into social advocacy. Yeah. 
At the time, it did seem like a very prudent strategic move to advocate that corporations weigh in on gay issues and gay non-discrimination in order to move the cultural winds to a direction of greater cultural acceptance. Um, but what I realize now looking back is that we would have had the Supreme Court ruling in support of same-sex marriage in all 50 states in 2015, whether or not 379 major corporations sent amicus briefs to the United States Supreme Court. I don't think that those amicus briefs were what ultimately tipped the scales in favor of the Supreme Court ruling for same-sex marriage. We have now, in the absence of federal LGBT non-discrimination protections, a landscape in which market forces have created a employment landscape in which people know that they just don't want to fire someone because of their sexual orientation. We did that all without legislation, and corporations organically instituted those policies, and the culture was changed without them having to engage in cultural issues. What happened, though, as a result of them weighing in on those cultural issues is, is that it opened this Pandora's box where companies now not only feel that they should weigh in on everything from Black Lives Matter to defund the police, critical race theory, and abortion, but that it is their duty to do so. And it's hard to argue with them when you look back and you say, well, you weighed in on these LGBT issues all those years ago. Why aren't you weighing in on this now? To see Gregory Angelo's interview, you can go to fullmeasure.news and watch a replay of the TV segment. You can search his name on the site or go through the national tab and find the story and other stories that you like or go to full episodes. If you're interested in this sort of reporting, you might want to listen to my other podcast this week, Full Measure After Hours. I have a fascinating interview with the Attorney General of Missouri, Andrew Bailey, who is doing a lot of important work in challenging, I guess you would call establishment narratives and initiatives. One of the most important cases Missouri has filed is against the Biden administration over White House censorship and FBI censorship and CIA censorship of social media when it comes to COVID, COVID vaccine safety issues, and many other topics. He, so far, is winning the case. Never before in American history have the courts found that the White House engaged in unconstitutional censorship activities by colluding with social media to suppress the opinions of people and to suppress scientific studies and to suppress even perfectly true information which the government has no right to do under our Constitution. That's full measure after hours. Eyeshadow has come a long way since you swiped on one color at a time or practically had to take a master class in cosmetics to get the shading right. Hi, I'm Star, owner of the Lemonade Mermaid, and I've designed an exclusive shade-shifting multichrome pigment for eyes that's like no other you'll ever see. Just swipe it on your eyelids and the magic happens. Depending on the angle and light, it shifts between hues of golden pink, or green and pink, and even purple and gold. The shading is done for you. Just $25 for a jar that will last you months. My website is store.lemonademermaid.life. And listeners of this podcast can get 20% off these incredible pigments by using the checkout code PODCAST. I hope to see you at store.lemonademermaid.life today. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that if you did, you'll leave us a great review, subscribe, and share it with your friends. Check out my other podcast, Full Measure After Hours. 
And now you can support independent journalism causes by visiting CherylAckeson.com and clicking on the store tab. There are some thought-provoking and fun products designed exclusively for independent and free thinkers like you, such as products with the slogan, I need to find some new conspiracy theories. All my old ones came true. Proceeds benefit independent reporting causes. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.